Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acree. And our guest today is Allison Williams, who actually, this is a little bit different for us. Yeah, she was an unbelievable rock space. star. Yeah. I'm going to come out and say one of our best interviews ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bold claim, but it's true. Like, we, this, I agree. she is one, a practicing lawyer. Now she coaches law firms, right? How to build their business. And it's such a unique take because we've never really had someone on that has one, practiced law, and then two, has built it, right? Built their own business in it. And, but she lays out for you business 101. It is it's one amazing. of those, every single question we asked, and then she kind of laid down what she knows and what she teaches. You have to listen to each segment multiple times. This yep. is going to be one you're going to want to have a paper and a pencil in order to take notes. I always said paper and a pad. So you get paper and a pad, but you also need to add the writing instrument to the paper and the pad. That is a golden nugget, ladies and gentlemen. Before we introduce Allison, though, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're not already. And while you're there, drop us a review to let us know how we're doing. And we will read that review on the show. And then before we do bring Allison on, because we talk in this about this idea of the follow-up process and the drip marketing. So I wanted to draw everybody's attention who's listening to this, who might not know what we do here at Reminder Media. We actually have uh, automated drip marketing for your business. And one of those is our flagship products with American Lifestyle Magazine, well, which are branded magazines. We have three different versions. Yeah, it's actually our most popular piece. The reason why is we literally create for you and your business your own magazine. So you're not taking out an ad in this magazine. You're not going to be featured next to a ton of competitors. It's your magazine. We do all the content for you. You can feature things like not only your pictures, your logos, your contact information. You can feature products, services, testimonials. All of this can be done for less than a Hallmark card. And we're going to send it to your clients. Yep, And we have a special deal just for Stay Paid listeners. You can go to staypaidpodcast.com slash magazine. Again, staypaypodcast.com slash magazine to check out the special offer there. And now let's get into this week's interview. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Our guest today is Allison Williams, known as the Law Firm Mentor. Allison is the owner of two successful companies, Williams Law Group and Law Firm Mentor. Allison took Williams Law Group from a startup to a multi-million dollar business in a little over three years, largely, and we love this, through learning how to sell. Her second business, Law Firm Mentor, provides business coaching for solo and small firm attorneys, helping them grow their revenues, crush chaos, and make more money. Sounds a lot like she helps people. Yeah, I need, I need some crushing of chaos. That's what, that's what <laughs> Allison, I need to learn today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Allison, it's awesome to have you on the show. I was just sharing before we jumped on. I am truly excited for this interview because I was telling Josh and Allison that I don't believe maybe we've had a guest over the three years we've been doing this. We need a fact check. On yeah, this. we need a fact check, Ariel, that has a law degree, <laughs> but we have never had someone who's actually built a successful law practice and is really an expert in how do you attract clients in that space. So I think you're going to bring such a unique perspective to the marketing side. And really, we get to pick your brain of how did you do it? How did you build your practice? How now are you coaching people? Would love for you just to take a minute and kind of give the audience the 30,000 foot view of Allison's story. What got you into law, building the business, leading you to coaching people as well? 
Yeah. So I became a lawyer, traditional route, went through school, uh, decided I needed a vocation that could give me a lot of money and give me some status. I honestly, that's what I was pursuing. Just going to be candid about that. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and became a lawyer focused in matrimonial and family law. So getting people divorced and, you know, dealing with domestic violence and child abuse and all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, you know, found that being a lawyer was something I absolutely loved. And I still love the law. I still love lawyering. But very soon after I decided that I was going to go in to practice on my own, I encountered what most lawyers encounter, which is, oh, crap, I never learned how to run a business. I just figured I could be a lawyer and happen to do it on my own rather than be a lawyer in someone else's company. So very, very soon after I left, things had kind of ballooned out of control in terms of the volume of work that I had. It never occurred to me to say no to a prospective client that was willing to pay a bill. It never occurred to me that I needed to have things done consistently in a certain way. I just was in my mode of doing things a certain way. So I didn't think about systems or any of that stuff. And then one day after hiring and firing my third incompetent secretary, I finally had enough and said, I'm just exhausted. I'm going to take the next day, do the thing that I need to do, which is, you know, get caught up on work. And as luck would have it, the courts agreed with me. So the courts adjourned my entire day. I had a full day in the office plan for Friday. So Thursday night rolls around. I said, I'm going to sleep in super late tomorrow. I'm not going to get up until 7 a.m. I'm going <laughs> to stay in a reasonable hour. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to leave at 7 p.m. For me, that 12-hour work day was quite a light load at that point. So I was working about 70, 80 hours. Jeez. I said 70 to 80 hours a week. So uh, that day rolls around. I'm so excited to get home. and I'm just exhausted, but I'm so thrilled with the idea I'm going to go to my bed. And lo and behold, I got there a little early because I woke up and I was driving 90 miles an hour down the highway. Uh, And uh, when I woke up, I was about a quarter of an inch away from a guardrail. So I realized that working harder wasn't working. We couldn't do that anymore. Uh, so had my first come to Jesus moment, set a few expletives up to the sky and then turned it around very quickly by working with business coaches. And what I found was that there were a lot of different types of coaches. This is really my first introduction to the industry. So I found a lot of what I needed in a lot of different places and then ultimately took myself from zero into a multi-million dollar business in about three and a half years. And through that process, I got myself to only needing about five hours a week to run my law firm. And it still takes about five hours of my week. Uh, It surged up to about 10 hours a week during COVID uh, and the immediate onslaught of COVID, but it still now requires about five hours of my week. And that's pretty consistent. Sometimes it's lower, uh, sometimes it's higher, but for the most part, it's about five hours. And people ask me all the time, well, you know, how did you get there? Uh, and how do you, how do you, how do you create that? And what I realized is that I had a knack for teaching. I love to share it with lawyers, how I was able to do this. And so I, I launched law firm mentor in January of 2018, uh, and took us over seven figures last year. And wow. now we are a team of 12. I literally just today posted a picture of all of my team that's now up on the website, uh, including six coaches and uh, six administrative team. We have a national corporation uh, and we have a team both in the U.S. and overseas. Wow. And we have clients in 2016. That's amazing. You're like literally doing the four hour work week. You know, yeah. you read that book, four hour work week. Ah, I never possible. believed it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, it, can, it can happen. It's not it's not likely for a lot of people if they don't do the things that they have to do. And, and many people are so resistant to doing the things that they have to do that they just never get there and they say mm. it's not possible. It is possible, but you have to reform everything that you know about life and about business to get there. So what are the things that people have to do? And, and, and I mentioned in your bio, you know, you had in on your on your bio that it, you figured out how to sell, like you largely yeah. learning through how to sell. And I think most people, when they think of um, uh, law firms, you know, you think of the billboards, you think of the commercials on local TV, you don't necessarily think of it as a sale. So what was that light bulb moment for you? And what does that process look like that other firms or other lawyers starting out should be doing? Yeah. So I I think I approached it the same way that most lawyers do, which is, you know, your job is to help the public, right? You get that inculcation in law school. And yes, you get paid for doing that, but your first and and priority uh, obligation is to serve the public. So sometimes that means you serve the public to your economic detriment. Sometimes that means you serve the public when there is no economic benefit to you, which conceptually is fine. But I think what ends up happening is that lawyers take that and they take that trauma wound inside them that says, you know, I'm not a good person unless I'm helping someone. Mm. And then they put themselves at the bottom of the heap and they don't consider that if you are economically distressed, you're never going to be the best lawyer in that scenario because you can't pay your bills or you're stressed. You're now not being your best self for your client. So I thought about it as a profession. I still think about it as a profession, but I also realized that I needed to know how to make money and serve a client from a place of, you know, you get value, I get value. It's a quick profile. So I thought about that. And then it it occurred to me one day, one of my my mentors is is now deceased. um, He actually runs a master, ran a mastermind uh, dedicated to marketing. And he introduced me to the concept of having a non-attorney to conduct sales in a law firm. Hmm. And I thought, how is that possible? You know, how are we ever going to get over our ethical obligation, right? No, as an attorney, if you're not an attorney, you're not allowed to give legal advice. So I can't have a non-attorney learn how to lawyer. And a a, a member of the public, they're going to be expecting legal advice in a consultation. How can I not give that to them and still give them value? And once I got some of those limiting beliefs out of my head, those are the first questions that every lawyer I've ever talked to about this asks. I then realized that it really is a sales conversation, right? Selling is not about convincing. It's not about persuading. It's not about pushing. It's about helping someone to reach a conclusion that is ultimately going to be in their better interest, right? So So if you think about it that way, what you're doing is you're trying to get them tapped into the, the emotions of what they ultimately are facing if they don't take action. And then you're leading them to the conclusion that by taking action with you, because you know the questions to ask, you know the information to give them, you know the tools, the tricks, the trade, all of those things that they already got through your marketing, right? they know that you have the ability to help them when they get there. Then ultimately what you're doing is you are serving them by virtue of selling to them. And when I conceptualized it that way, then it became a matter of, I need to master the technique of selling. I need to approach it the same way that any sales organization does, right? There's a certain volume of people that need to come into your funnel of which a certain percentage are going to be qualified, a certain percentage are going to schedule, a certain percentage are going to convert. And that conversion needs to happen consistently at a certain rate to meet your sales goals. And that's how I approach it in my law firm. That's how I approach it in my coaching business. That's how I teach other lawyers to train their staff on looking at sales and how they ultimately have to look at sales to be the most successful that they can be. 
uh, mic drop, ladies and gentlemen. That was music. Yeah, that was beautiful. (laughs) Now, that is, rewind that. If you're listening to this right now in your car, wherever you're at, rewind that, listen to that again. I mean, that is business. Like, Mm. that is the 101. People don't see it as that math equation. And I love how eloquently you framed up sales, that Mm. it's not convincing, it's not persuading, it's truly helping someone come to the solution that they need that's going to benefit them the most. That is so awesome. So talk to us a little bit about some of the tactics you use to feed this funnel, right? From a marketing perspective, right? You can do phone calls, you can do billboards, you can do mailers, Facebook ads. What are you teaching? What are you seeing is successful in bringing in clientele or prospects for your funnels? Yeah. So the first thing I always start with, with any law firm, and really I I focus on solo and small law firms. So usually they have anywhere from one to 10 lawyers, right? You're not talking about mega firms. And when you're smaller and there obviously are large firms or there are a lot of small firms, there's a lot of people in the marketplace, you have to really know your messaging. And that's really where I tell people to start. Like we always want to start with the the fancy trick and and tip that you're going to get. But you know, if you put a bunch of crap on a Facebook ad, yeah, someone's going to click on it. Someone's going to go to your website. But if there's no substance there that appeals to them, they're not likely to do anything with the fact that they click. So you spend a lot of money to get eyes on your website and that's it. So what we start, what we start with is always the avatar, right? Who is your ideal client? Who is the person that you are best suited to help that is most inclined to work with you? And that usually is both about who you are and who they are. So there are some people that decide, you know, I only want to work with people in a certain economic bracket. And that's not about just getting the bills paid. Like there's some people that truly get and understand the complexities of the high net worth community. And there are some people that get and truly understand the complexities of lower income people. Right. So where's your sweet spot? What have you done in the past that would correlate with whichever audience? And then once you identify who that person is, you're going to go through a three-step process of analyzing them from their demographics to their geographics, to their psychographics, right? So demographics, pretty simple, what they look like, what they sound like, what you can check off on a box on a census data form. You know, the geographics is not just where they live, but also where you find them. So I always tell people, you know, you need to know who you're talking to, but you need to know where you can find them. Are you finding them at the PTA? Are you finding them at the baseball league? Are you finding them at the bar? Right, wherever (laughs) they are, that's your geographics. And then finally, the psychographics, and that's the part that I think is most underutilized, that's how they think, right? Are we, am I talking to a conservative Mormon man uh, from the Midwest or am I speaking to, you know, a hip hop generation, young African-American woman uh, from the South? You know, where, where am I finding my people? How are they, are they liberal? Are they religious? Are they, um, you know, are they the type of person that's really concerned about status? Are they very altruistic? Are they concerned about philanthropic activities, Right. So you kind of create this profile and that's really the heart of everything that goes out, wherever you put it, right? You got to get what you're putting out to the quality point so that whoever sees it is attracted to it. Mm. Then you have to figure out where you're going to put it, right? So nowadays there's no way that you can run a business without being on the internet and without being on social media. But you also, as a lawyer, are going to encounter opportunities to network in person and or to create other opportunities in person, trade shows, speaking engagements, digital speaking engagements now, as well as in person. So we have to be thinking about what makes the most sense. And there we really analyze what is suited to the personality. So there are a lot of lawyers that believe that you have to be an extrovert to sell. 
not true. I tell people I'm a recovering introvert. I don't like going into rooms with a lot of people. I would much rather be on a stage in front of a thousand people than at a cocktail, you know, cocktail party with 15 people. So I have a way of networking for network, you know, for, for introverts. Um, if you're someone who is a data person, you like to give out information, you like to teach, get yourself on stage. Now, getting on stage is not just having good information. There is a, a strategy for how you present from stage, but present from stage, gather information, and continue to nurture those people. And I think where lawyers probably miss the boat the most with leads is that they don't nurture people that come into their orbit. They, it's kind of like either I, you're coming in and I'm selling you today, or I'm forgetting you until I can find a human yes. being that I can sell to today. And all of those people that were attracted to your message, they might not need a divorce today. Or their criminal matter may have resolved today, but there may be one again in the future. Or they may not need an estate plan today, or they may not be willing to buy one. But you stay in touch with them. You stay top of mind awareness. You keep yourself active with them. They see value from you. And then when they are ready, they will be ready. And that means that that 3% of the marketplace at any given time that's really primed and ready to buy your service, that not that other 97% is, is right for continued contact. And most of us kind of drop the ball on that. Where are where are lawyers dropping the ball on that? What are some of the follow up practices or some of those nurture um, campaigns from like a tactical standpoint? What are you seeing uh, with success there? Yeah, well, so of course, email is kind of what most people think of. But yeah. I will tell you, nowadays, email is so blooded mm-hmm. because that's the mechanism that lawyers use. But yeah. I will say this, if you are communicating with professionals, professionals have to use email as a part of their day to day. So you're probably going to get a higher open rate if you're marketing to professionals than if you're marketing to other members of the general public. But then there's also text marketing. And there are a lot of now services that you can create where either by opt-in, like like the community app, a person can get into your community and get you know periodic messages of announcements that you have to make, um, affirmations or positive speakings about your service that you can just drip on them periodically. Or for something that's a little bit more of a lead-in, someone opts into attending your webinar or someone opts into you know, joining you on a Facebook Live, and then you get, your, uh, you get their text number so that you can ultimately stay in touch with them. And the goal here is, you know, every medium is a little bit different. So, you know, email, you can say a lot more. You know, text messaging, you're not going to send, but so many characters. But you're going to say something that's impactful to the person so that they stay in contact with you, and you're going to nurture them. So the more assets that you create in your law firm, The same way with any business, the more opportunities you have to give them something new and exciting that will appeal to them at the right time. So it could be, you know, we've got, let's say you have a two department law firm, right? You might have family law and estate planning. So for your estate planning practice, maybe you're today talking about the top tip for, um, you know, creating the, the, the indestructible will. And then tomorrow you're talking about divorces. Well, you might not necessarily want to have everyone in the same category because the people that are interested in your estate planning practice might not necessarily need a divorce, Mm -hmm. but you might want to just let them know the firm has these services available. And so you're always using your, your voice, you're using your mechanism, your medium of marketing to get people staying in contact with you. A podcast is an incredibly easy, effective, and inexpensive way to have your prospects view you as an authority. And when your prospects view you as an authority, they're in the proper mindset to buy from you. Get everything you need to start your own podcast with our free ebook, Small Business Podcasting, The Ultimate Starter's Guide. 
A smartphone, some headphones, and an app is all you need to begin. Go to ReminderMedia.com slash podcasting and download this free resource today. That's ReminderMedia.com slash podcasting. Take action on this today. And you never know when that that's going to lead to something, right? We, we still have, I recorded a series of videos back in 2015. And they're the most hideous videos in the world. My makeup was not good. We have some I, of those. Know, I was quite a bit heavier than... You know, hair is kind of cockamamie. I was tired by the end of the videos because I recorded all 100 in one afternoon. But you did it. Uh, so you still made the videos. <laughs> <laughs> but we still have people to this day that come to my law firm and say, oh, yeah, I've been watching your videos for years. Wow. Yeah, well, I stopped making them quite a while ago. So obviously they're still in circulation, right? And once you create that library, you just keep it going, right? Yep. So you create the library and, and you just send them, you know, put them in a, in a you know, social media distributor like Buffer or, uh, or Meet Edgar or Hootsuite, one of those. And you send out those communications periodically so that the mass market is actually getting mass communications, but they're getting it in a library on a stream continuously without you having to do more work. I love that. Do you find that uh, in the law side of business, is it heavy, heavy referral based business or is it new anonymous people coming in? I've always been curious because we've seen, I've kind of seen both with uh, lawyers that I've met. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's, there's opportunity in both. I think kind of the young and scrappy person starts off seeking referrals and I'm a big proponent of referral based marketing. It does need to be a division, a, a part of your marketing plan, but the, the challenge with referrals is that you're basically waiting for someone to refer you, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you have a, a, a follow-up sequence where you're staying in contact with your referral sources, you're sending them communication so they don't forget about you, you're proactively calling them periodically and reminding them, hey, I'm looking for referrals in the area of X. So if you happen to know someone, right? Even if you're doing all the right things, you're still waiting for someone to encounter a person to send you versus as proactive as a lawyer can be to quote, go out and get business putting your communications out there, getting people to engage, getting people in your funnel, having that first party communication. And now it is really important that lawyers understand that we are not going to have the same freedoms and the same benefit of online marketing that we currently have because in 2022, cookies are going away. We're not going to have the same level of uh, third party data. So now first party data is going to be super important. And that means driving backlinks to your website and making sure that uh, people that come to your website actually do something to give you their information because retargeting is going to take on a different um, a different landscape now that we're not going to have that same level of data. Yeah, every marketer is crying. Josh, I've found him many times in a closet cl- crying. And it's not it. it's not the Oreos that are going away <laughs> when she says cookies. Yeah, when it's she the ability cookies. to track people online that <laughs> will be going away. <laughs> no, that's that, that's so that's so. So funny. talk a little bit because that that that's great. You you mentioned. Um, during your sales process, you know, you walk through this idea of you got to get people into your funnel, you got to qualify them for your business, you got to make the phone calls, you got to do the sales. You also talked about tracking your your sales conversions and what what in that whole funnel are you tracking for your business? What should people be tracking and what conversion rate should they really be focusing on moving the needle on? Yeah. So for, for general purposes, when I think about a funnel, I think about top of funnel are your, are your impressions, right? They're the opportunities for people to see your message. And then from there, you have leads, you have valuable leads, you have scheduled appointments, you have people that show up for the scheduled appointment, and then you have your actual new clients. And you need to be tracking at each of those levels what those numbers are so that you know that 
a funnel that has impressions of a billboard has a very different you know, metric than a funnel that has, uh, let's say it's, it's Facebook ads, or uh, it could be your speaking engagement at the Chamber of Commerce, or it could be uh, your, your banner ads on someone else's website, right? So all of those different funnels for each of them, you're going to have numbers associated with them. And you need to be tracking at each one, how many clients did I get from this? But not just how many clients, how many clients did I get? How many people scheduled an appointment? Of those that scheduled an appointment, how many showed up? How many of the people that showed, you know, that called my office were actually leads, right? Because sometimes people will call an office and say, hi, I saw that you represent criminals. And I think that, you know, my, my ex-husband is a criminal and I'd like to get divorced. So therefore, can you help me? And the answer is, no, we don't handle that area of law. So you're not a lead for us. Mm. And then there are some people that are maybe perhaps a lead, right? Maybe I'm, a, I'm looking to sell my commercial real estate and I'm calling a real real estate firm, but let, let's say I need it like yesterday, right? So maybe the person says, we don't have anything lead time wise for your type of uh, transaction and anything less than a month. So you, if you don't give us a month, you're not viable for us, right? You're still a lead for us, but yep. you're not viable because we can't help you. We've chosen not to help you. Okay. So you have to be tracking all of those numbers so that you can always be testing and refining the funnels, right? So you know that this is either working for my business or not, or the next layer, which is what does it cost, right? Yeah. So if I can get five clients for $10,000, that's very different than getting five clients for $500. And depending on what you are selling and the average lifetime value of a client, it might be viable for you to have a very high price point on your clients. But you obviously want to always be driving that cost down and you want to have diversity of your funnels. So you have to be looking at those numbers across all of your funnels, but you always want to be tracking all of those things. And then for conversion rates, you know, conversion rates, obviously everyone wants as high as possible. But I always say that, you know, generally speaking, if you're looking at warm traffic, you should be expecting at least 75% or higher. If you're looking at cold traffic, you want to be at least at 50% or higher. Okay. And that really is about the quality of the sales conversation. So a lot of lawyers will report when they first start working with us, you know, if it's, if it's a person referred to me, I'm most likely to close them, right? I know what to say. I can refer, I can rely on the relationship I had with whoever referred them. But if it's Susie who saw my Google ad, well, I can't, I, I, most likely she's not going to sign up. Uh, these are, these are dead leads or these are, uh, these are crap leads or whatever. And I always say that it's very easy to blame the marketer for sending you cold clap crap leads. But if you knew how to sell, yeah, you Luke. could sell the crap leads, right? <laughs> Luke runs Josh, sales. I Josh run marketing. Josh is the marketer on the sales. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing these days, but <laughs> it is the same but you, thing. But you know it to be true, Josh, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, as soon as somebody is like not getting butts and seats, they say, well, the leads that I'm being sent are not good leads. Yeah. And sometimes that is true. Right? Sometimes is true. there yeah, is a specification of, I want a certain demographic or I want a certain gender or I want a certain area of my, you know, my region in terms of clientele. But for a lot of people, the person who's saying no might legitimately have less money than you would like. So when they say, I can't afford, you're inclined to believe that. Yeah. But more often than not, you can get a person who says, I can't afford to a yes, if you know what to say to them, if you know what to ask of them. And because lawyers don't practice the, the, the real sales sequence of the right questions and digging into emotion and making sure that the person is, is, you know, saying their inductive reasoning and not their deductive reasoning. So they're, they're focused on the linear path between their problem and your solution rather than all of the rabbit hole questions that come up like, what's this going to cost? How long is it going to take? Who's my adversary? How long is the court process? What documents will I need? 
when, you know, when you get them out of their head and into their emotions, it becomes very easy to sell them. And then you have more options for who to sell. And even a person who has a relatively cold experience, they don't know you except for maybe skimming your website once they came onto your website then you have greater opportunity. And that's really where growth comes from. That's how you grow a business. You have opportunity to make money. Now, that doesn't mean you take in every client, right? Some people you don't need to work with, you don't want to work with, you should not work with, but you need to have the opportunity to work with more people than you currently are working with in order to grow your business. Mm. What was the difference between inductive? I want to, can you say that again? Inductive reasoning versus deductive reasoning. Yeah. So think about it this way. You know, if I'm looking at deductive reasoning, I'm thinking, you know, X leads to Y leads to Z, right? It's kind of, if you think about it this way, it's kind of like starting out, starting out, you know, um, starting out very wide and and narrowing down. Inductive reasoning is the exact opposite, right? It's you're starting out narrow and going very broad. Mm. And you want to keep people... In other words, the way that I like to think about it is expanding the problem. Okay. So we might say to someone, if they come into your business and they think, what I need is a criminal defense lawyer, yep. right? I, um, I got into a scuffle with somebody. I've gotten a call from a prosecutor's office. They may be indicting me. They want me to come down for questioning and I need a criminal defense lawyer, right? So there's a linear path when they come in. I have a problem. Here's your solution. However, m- most lawyers do is they assume that that is enough to make a person have a buying decision. And it isn't. Hmm. Right. So I may know that I have a legal problem and I may know that you have a legal solution. But I'm, if I'm thinking, how much am I going to pay? Right. Then if my thought goes to what I'm paying or how long is it going to take and what that what that means for my life, then I can often start creating additional spirals. And then what ends up happening is that the solution becomes something very, 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 very expansive. Right. I'm thinking about here's the solution of the legal service. I'm thinking about how does it, you know, what's it cost? Can I get it financed? How long is it going to take? Do you accept payment plans? Um, how, how many, how many widgets am I going to have to sell in my own business in order to pay for your service? Yeah. How many people are going to be involved in this? How complex is this? What is, what does the law tell me about the likelihood of success? What, you know, the, the mind just starts to grow and grow and grow versus what should be happening is that you should take the problem and expand the problem. So if you start with the person says, Hey, I have been accused of a crime, but, you know, my mind wants to believe it's not that bad, right? I want to not be terrorized. So I say things like, well, but I'm a first time offender and I didn't really do anything and there's no video footage. And, you know, so they try to minimize the problem. Your job is to expand the problem, not so that you can fabricate, right? You're going to tell them and ask them questions to lead them to see it's a real problem, but you're going to help them realize that they're in much more jeopardy than they otherwise thought they were. So you're going to start asking them questions about, okay, um, are you aware of what happens when, you know, if you were to be convicted of this? Do you recognize that this offense occurred in a school zone? So there are uh, maybe some exacerbating factors or aggravating factors that are going to make this more sentencing than you might have thought. Do you recognize that if you don't invest in a, in a criminal defense lawyer that's actually financially invested in your in your in your outcome, you could very easily have someone who goes in and sells you down the river with a very cheap plea deal because it's easy money for them. Right. And then they start to realize, oh, my God, the problem is much bigger. Hmm. Right. So I focus on how big the problem is. And then the solution, not so bad. Right. Ten thousand dollars to not go to jail, not get you know, all those things. <laughs> and now right, I'm focused on how small the solution is relative to my problem. Man, and that's I stay so there good. in the emotion of the problem, not 
in the data of the solution. Yeah, that's so, so good because it literally minimizes your cost. It it makes it so you're the hero that I I can't solve all these problems by myself. This is unbelievable. I need the expert. And this person knows because I wasn't even thinking about this. Mm. That's amazing. That is so, so good. And yes, none of us want to end up with Bubba. That's, yeah. <laughs> that was the greatest. You are, you are a master. I mean, I could literally talk to you about this all day. I want to go down the whole rabbit tro- uh, hole of like cold calling and what you say on the phone. But I want to ask you, we ask all the people who come on the show um, a couple of questions. One is, do you have any routines that you implement or have implemented in your life that has really driven success for you that you look back on and you go, these, this has really helped me. This has really, you know, helped in my self-development. Yeah. So, you know, for me, you know, my, my kind of go-to routine is that I am up early every day, seven days a week, you know, there's no sleeping in Mm. and that's not neglecting sleep. I'm a big proponent of getting enough sleep, but I very much believe that when you start your day early and you start running right away, you get in the mode of running right away and it's a lot easier to slow yourself down than to speed yourself up. So people that kind of have a slow ramp up time of, all right, I get up, I do some exercise, maybe I do some yoga, maybe I read a book, maybe I return a couple of emails and then I get around to getting into my office, tend to get less done throughout the course of a day than people that get up and get cranking right away. Mm, wow. That's awesome. Love what it. time do you wake up? Five. Five. Okay. Yeah, that is early. I'm still working towards five. <laughs> Josh is still working. I got down I to like six. I figured it was pretty early because you were like, and I slept in and I got up at seven and I'm like, well, there's a lot of people right now that are thinking seven's early. Um, so last, <laughs> last question for you, knowing what you know now, right? After all you've been through and the success you've had, what would you go back? What piece of advice would you go back and give younger Allison, maybe that high school age girl? Oh, God. Well, that's going to bring up a whole lot of childhood traumas that I don't know that we're going to say that. But in all seriousness, if I, were, if I were to kind of look back and say, you know, what, what could I say to my younger self, right, regarding where I am now, I would say that, you know, you're always going to have enough if you believe you'll have enough. Mm. And I think if I, had, if I had grasped onto that when I was younger, I would have been much more likely to take risks. I would have been much more open to new experiences. I would have allowed things that didn't feel completely within my control. I would have allowed them into my space, but I pushed it all away because I was trying to control things the way that most lawyers do. And that ultimately did not serve me well. And I had to break that pattern. It was very expensive. It took a lot of time, a lot of coaching, a lot of therapy to break that pattern. But then once I broke it, now I have two multiple seven-figure businesses. And I am sure that within the next five years, there will be a third business and we will have at least one eight-figure company at work. So that yes, is amazing. That is awesome. Allison, thank you so much for being here. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you how they can find out about your programs. I know you have a podcast of your own, right? Crushing Chaos, yeah. your own podcast. Yeah. So just let people know how they can learn more from you. Sure. So I'm Allison Williams. I'm the Law Firm Mentor, and you can find us at lawfirmmentor.net. And the chaos, the, the Crushing Chaos with Law Firm Mentor podcast can be found on all of the major platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. So check that out because we talk about all things related to growing, scaling, and crushing chaos in law firms. Awesome. I know, man, listening to that, like the, even though it was focused on, you know, law firms and lawyers, like that can be the principles that can be applied to every single industry. So I know people will get a lot out of that. Thank you again for being here. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening to dive deeper in this episode, get the video for it and all of the links that Allison mentioned 
all in one spot. You can go to statepaidpodcast.com. We have our show notes over there. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to know how to show your support, we would love it if you'd leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcast along with a comment in your review. And the best way to show support for the show is to tell a friend, share this on your social media. If you want to get a hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, I'm Luke Acre. What an incredible interview. I'm struggling coming up with like just one action item. There's so many action items, but I want to break it down and say, hey, what is something that you have to do to make sure that you're moving your business forward? And I loved how when I asked Allison the question of, hey, what are you coaching people from a marketing standpoint to attract leads in? How do you make sure that you're actually getting the business? Because that's the number one question we get. And instead of going right to the tactics, which a lot of people do, whether it's Facebook or whatever, she said, well, it doesn't do you any good to promote your business if you don't have your messaging right. If you don't know who you're even trying to reach, spend a second to look at your client avatar. That is your action item. Do you have it? Do you have it defined? Do you know the demographic, the geographic, the psychographic information? Do you know where they are and how to reach them? Because all these marketing strategies that we talk about on the show constantly over and over again won't do you any good if you don't have the messaging correct. So that's your action item for this show. Find your client avatar so you can improve your messaging and you can figure out where your clients are at. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single industry is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 